Okay, the parashas Vayetze. Even though I have a sheet, thank you. Even though it's, um, it's Thanksgiving, we'll have a sheet anyway. We'll learn a little. The parasha begins, Vayetze Yaakov mi Be'er Sheva, Vayelech Harona. Yaakov Avinu left Be'er Sheva, Vayelech Harona. The word Harona means to Haran, to in the direction of Haran. So, of course, the first difficult thing is It seems to be too much information. If the Apostle would have just written that he went to Haran, so then we would understand that he left Beersheba. I mean, it's all the same. Leaving Beersheba and going to Haran. Then it says, in modern Hebrew, the word paga has more to do with coming upon something, like walking into a wall. You would say that's vayivgaba makom. And here, the word vayivgaba makom is unclear. Does it mean haran? That's the makom, or some other makom? I mean, there's something vayelech sham, asad sham, and he went to sleep there. Kiva Shemesh, because the sun went down, also seems to be <coughs> rather extraneous. Usually people go to sleep when it gets dark. I mean, why does the Torah have to tell us? He went to sleep because Baha Shemesh. And here you have the famous story, which is hard to understand without some sort of interpretation. He took an, a stone and he put it mirashotav, right? Mirashotav, you see the word rosh in that word. And that means he put it in his, under his head. Mirashotav. And he went to sleep in that place. All of which, the whole pasuk seems to be um, telling us things that that are so simple and straightforward that we wonder why the Torah had to tell them to us. And he went to sleep. So, uh, we don't know exactly where he is and we don't know exactly why it's important that he went to sleep. And the, the Pasuk says that he went to sleep because it got dark. And even though the, the Torah emphasizes the place, he was in a place, we don't know what that place is. The third pasuk, Now things get exciting. He had a dream. And in the dream there was a, a, a ladder. And the bottom of the ladder was on the earth. So what I'm particularly interested in the first two psukim. What did the first psukim tell us about Yaakov Avinu? Where did he go? Where was he? Why is it either all trivia? Or alternatively, why is it... Um, why is it important for us to know all of these things? So let's see how Rashi explains the, how Rashi explains the psukim. 
Vayitzei Yaakov, where she says there are day, Shebeshvil Shirot Benot Kanan, Be'enei Yitzchak Aviv, Alachai Savo Yishmael. At the end of the last parasha, we learned that Esav, Yaakov's brother, went to Yishmael to find a wife. Because Yitzchak declared that, um, that they should marry Mibinot Kanan, girls from Kanan. If Sika and Yandri Parashatosho Yaakov, right, there's kind of a break in the story of Yaakov, Uchtiv, Vayerai Savki Beirech Luchuli Mishigamar Chazali Yanari Shon. So that what Rashi is explaining is the order of things. That Vayetze Yaakov in Beersheba actually took place after Abram Avinu, after Yitzchak and Rivka told him that he should go away to find a wife or run away from Esau, so he did it. Now the second Rashi, Vayetze Yaakov in Beersheba. Lo yatzich lichtov ela vayelech Yaakov charana. As Rashi says, that if you, if you uh, base yourself on the principle of efficiency, that the Torah doesn't say things that it doesn't have to say, which is a principle that Rashi was very much in favor of, and that the Medrash was very much in favor of. And, and any time there's an apparent redundancy, the Medrash tries to explain it. So here, this whole pasuk contains one tremendous redundancy. Rashi says, That Yaakov went to Haran. If he went to Haran, we know that he left uh, Be'er Shava. Right? There's no other way. Can't be in two places at the same time. So why does the pasuk mention that Yaakov Avinu left? Ella this is almost Kabbalistic. You know what a Roshim is? A Roshim is like you have a signet ring and you press it into wax. You, know, you have a ring and on the ring you have your initials or your signature or some kind of a fancy thing. You press it into wax. This is the old days they used to do this. You know, today in our world the old days could be two weeks ago. Well, it was more than two weeks ago. You took a ring and you had to, the, like, you engraved the ring with the, the seal of the king. You put wax on the letter. Instead of licking it shut, you put wax and then you put the ring and it left an impression. That's called a Roshim. The amazing thing about a Roshim, the amazing thing about a is you don't really leave anything. Right? What you put in the ring, you take back. But what's left... What's left is the Roshem that the ring made. <coughs> the impression. The impression. So there's nothing there. So this is used by Chazal to explain what the Pasuk Medmet says with Yetzir Yaakov mi Be'er Sheva. Yaakov left Be'er Sheva. Shebizman she tzadik ba'ir hu hoda hu ziva hu adara. So when the tzaddik is in a place, so he, uh, he provides that place with, uh, with great honor. Right? Yatsamisham, panadara, panaziva, panadara, vechein. In other words, when the tzaddik leaves, he takes all of these things with him. But he leaves a roshan. You know, his people realize that they're missing it. If the tzaddik had never been there, so people would think, you know, everything is fine. Uh, you don't need a... But if there was once a tzaddik in the city, so when he leaves the city, he also leaves an impression. He, he, everybody knows he's missing. 
that there's something lacking in the sea. So that's called Vayetzei Yaakov Mibir Shalos. So Rashi says, Rashi says there's a problem in the Pasuk. There are too many words. And then Rashi says, okay, Vayetzei Yaakov Mibir Shalos means Panaziva, Panahadara, the Tzadik is left. And then Vayetzei that's the story. That he went on the way to Haran. Okay, so Rashi leaves us definitely with the impression that there's a redundancy in the Pasuk. That when it says, those words are unnecessary. And even though Rashi gives them an explanation, they says that teaches us something, nevertheless, the something that it teaches us has nothing to do with the story itself. And so the feeling of redundancy remains with us. Right? There's a certain feeling, even though it's reduced by Rashi, nevertheless, it's there. Then we're up to Pasuk Yud Aleph. Rashi says, He says, he says the, the Pasuk doesn't tell us what the Makom is. So it must be some well-known place. If the Pasuk says, so people, so the Pasuk assumes we know what that is. Uh, so it must be some previously mentioned Makom. What's the previously mentioned Makom? Hu Haramoria. Makom Mirachok. That in the Pasuk, Haramoria is also called Makom. That Abu Avinu, when he was on his way to Haramoria, and so that Rashi says that even though Makom, Makom is a common noun, right? It can be applied to any place. But in this place, in this case, it says Ham Makom, and Rashi explained that Ba Makom is like the same as if you remember Diktuk from Kita uh, Dalit or something. It's a long time ago, Kita Dalit. Ba-makom means b-ha-makom. Right? It's, a, it's a contraction. Ha, ha is the definite article. Ha-makom means the place that is called makom. B-ha-makom. You see? You see the vocalization? You see there's a dugesh in the men, they used to say, when I was a kid, they used to teach us that a Dagesh Chazak came because there was a missing letter. And the missing letter in this case is Ha. Instead of De Ha Makom, it says Vam Makom. Right? That's, how, that's how we learn. This, of course, is completely incorrect. Nevertheless, it was a good, a good way of remembering what it is that, uh, that is going on here. But believe me, it's incorrect. <coughs> But now we know that it says Hamakom, we're talking about a previously mentioned place called Makom, and that previously mentioned place is Haramoria. That's where he was. He was in Haramoria. Then Rashi gives a second interpretation. Baivga. He says, what does Baivga mean? Kimo upagabi yericho. So that according to Rashi means he reached the place. He reached the place. What place did he reach? He reached Haramoria. 
right? Vayv gabba makom. The same as Yeshua Benun reached the Richon, or Yeshua Benun reached Daveshet. That's Vayv the word Paga. So even though the word Paga, the word Paga sounds like it's it's the meeting of a person and a wall. Like you hit a wall, but you could also say that about getting to a place. You get to Yerichol, Vayivga, Vayivga. You get to Daveshet, Vayivga. Then Rashi, <coughs> so Rashi has explained the Pasuk, right? The Pasuk says, Vayivga Bamakom. And what does it mean? He got to Haramoria. But Rashi, again, Rashi again is concerned always about the fact that, uh, two things. First of all, why would the Torah hide that? Why did the Torah say, Vgabba Makom? Why couldn't the Torah said, Higia Lahara Maria? Why this difficulty that we have in dis- discovering things always? And then, of course, the question is, why use the word Vayivga? The word Vayivga usually means uh, like a person against an inanimate object, like you walk into a pole, that's called Vayivga. Why not just write Higia Lamakom? Why Vayivka? What's the importance of that word? So Rashi goes on and he says, Rabotenu Pirshu Mishon Tfila. Now that is really an unexpected comment. Rabotenu Pirshu Mishon Tfila. Kimoba Tivgabi, don't pray to me. Vilamadnu Shetikain Tfilat Arvit. And from this we learn that Yaakov Avinu was the one who created Arvit. Not created prayer, not created the prayer that Jews pray, but created the time. He said, this time is also a time for prayer, right? It was getting dark, the sun was going down, he was getting tired. He said, we better pray. We better daven right now. That's why you've got. And then Rashi says, and again, Rashi is interested in this treasure hunt aspect of the Torah. If, in fact, the Torah wanted to tell us that Yaakov Avinu prayed, why not use a word in Hebrew that means to pray? Why use a word like Vayivga, which, you know, only uh, uh, like somebody who writes dictionaries might imagine that it means to pray. Why, why do that to, the, to us? What does that mean? Well, in this particular case, I haven't got a clue what it means, but means he went a far, he went a long distance, a far distance, he went a distance in a moment. It was like a jump. Instead of, instead of going from here to there, he went from here to here. It was a second that's Katsala Haaretz, Koshu Farash, the Perik Gid Hanasheh. So if I had to explain this Pasuk according to Rashi, if I had to explain this Pasuk according to Rashi, I don't know. I mean, so, so what, what happened? By Yetzir Yaakov, he was a great tzaddik. He left a Rosha. He left an impression. What's the Makom? Haramuriya. He davened in Haramuriya. What was he davening about? I don't know exactly. 
I mean, I don't know, why did he think that this was the time when he had to daven? All of that is not known to me. Well, there's a Gemara in Sanhedrin. There's a Gemara in Sanhedrin that has a very precise description of what happened in this particular case that Rashi does not quote. That is to say, Rashi does not quote it in his commentary on the Chumash. But everybody knows this Gemara. In fact, everybody knows this Gemara because it appears twice in Shas. Once in Sanhedrin and once in Chulin. So if you've learned Chulin, you haven't learned Sanhedrin. If you learn Sanhedrin, you haven't learned Chulin, you're going to know this Gemara. And it's, it's not clear why Rashi didn't quote. Let's look at what the Gemara says. We can skip a little. That's a good way. We're on, we're on top of it. The fifth line. You see the fifth line, Yaakov Avinu? The topic is, Tadarabbanon, look at the first line. Tadarabbanon, there's a brighter, right? Tanaitic statement. Shlosha aretz. There were three people who, tra- who traversed great distance in an instant. That's kafza lahem aretz. Eliezer, Yaakov, Abisha, ben Surya. So we're interested in Yaakov, Abino, look at the fifth line. Yaakov Avinu Dichtiv Vayetze Yaakov Mibayr Shavu Yelicharana Viktiv Vayetzgab HaMakov Vayetzgab HaMakov Vayetzgab HaShemesh So where's the Kofza HaOretz? Where's the Kfitzat HaDerech exactly? The Gemara says Ki Mata Lechoran Omar Mata Lechoran means when he arrived at Choron. So the Gemara tells the story as follows. That's an ethical statement. means not that he was on his way to Haran, but that he came to Haran. He actually got there. When he got to Haran, Omar, you mean, I was on the way to Haran. So I passed Yerushalayim. I mean, that was the way. I passed Yerushalayim, passed Aram Moriah. Yaakov suddenly wakes up after this long trip and he's in Haran and he said, you know, I passed Aram Moriah. I didn't doubt it. I didn't do anything. He says, there's no language in the Medrash. Efshar, abarati amakosh, baladu baladav, abilod paladibo. Efshar? Is this possible? Well, it's not only possible, that's exactly what he did according to the Gemara. He went through Haram and he paid no attention. He just kept going. Goy Ratsa Lachzor. So Yaakov decided that he had done the wrong thing. And he wants to go back to Haram since he thought in his mind to go back, Kavtso Le'ara. So the Kvitsa Naderech that Yaakov Avinu had, according to the Gemara, was that he was able to go from Haran back to Haramoria in an instant. Even though it took him as long as it took him to get from Beersheba to Haran, but as soon as he thought to himself that he was a, did the wrong thing and he wants to go back to, he wants to go back to Haramoria, instantly, God brought him back to Haram Oriyah. Biyad, Ba'ifgab 
which means Vayad Vayivkamamakom. That's the pshat. Immediately he was there. So that Vayivkamamakom means Vayelecharana. He was in Haran. Vayivkamamakom. And instantly he was returned back to the place that he thought he wanted to be in, which was Harhamoria. Harhamoria. The Rahab. Alternatively, Alternatively, means and immediately davened. So Vayifka either means he was immediately in that place, or he immediately began to daven and went to where he went to Haran. Vayetzi, look to the Rashi. This is the Rashi on the Gemara. This is the Rashi on the Gemara. The Rashi on the Gemara says, Vayetzi, Yaakov, Vayeshev, Vayelech, Harana, Alma, Alma's ergo. Therefore, right, therefore, Baal Haran. That Yaakov Avinu actually came to Haran. Uktiv, Vayevkeba makom, Shadayin lo higia lecharan. Shaya Adayin Bivet El. So Rashi says that there's a problem in reading the Pasuk. That if he got already to Haran, I'm going to say Vayiv Gaba Makom. Vayiv Gaba Makom means that he didn't get to Haran yet. He was still in Beit El. So this, because of this uh, 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 kind of contradiction, the Chachamim came up with the idea that Vayiv Gaba Makom means. Uh, Kafsala are Miyad Vaivgaba Makom. That's why the word Vaivga is used instead of Vayagia. Okay. So if I had to summarize what we learned in these two Psukim with the Gemara, I would say there's a certain lack of clarity here about what Yaakov Vidu actually did. When I read the Pasuk, when I read the Pasuk, I think that he went from Beit El to Haran, but he that was Haram Moriah. And he decided to go to sleep there, and he had the dream. Chazal added an extra motif, something that's not clearly stated in the, in the um, parasha, but there are hints to it. And that extra motif is that actually Yaakov Avinu came to Haran. When he came to Haran, he he felt badly that he didn't consider what he should have considered and go to Daven in uh, Haramaria. And then immediately, Kafzalo Haderech, and then immediately, Vaivgama Makomi Daven. So, it's not clear what the lesson is. So, why, this, why didn't Yaakov Avinu stop the first time around? Why was it he came to Choron and he decided that he should, uh, he should go back to... I mean, if you take, a, you take the words of Chazal in a kind of a, a literal, straightforward way. I mean, what happened to Yaakov Avinu? I mean, why didn't he do the right thing the first time around? Isn't Yaakov Avinu Yaakov Avinu? I mean, uh, yeah, there's a shoe. There's like a big shoe. It says, it says Milcha at 4 o'clock. And here's Yaakov Avinu walking by and he says... Not for me. 
When he gets to Haran, he says, oh, I might have made a mistake. I'm going to go back and dab in Mincha. What, what? Well, I'll go back and dab Marit. In fact, I'll invent it. That's what the Lord says. So what, what is uh, what a Chazal trying to... I mean, it's true <coughs> that the story <coughs> leaves a little to be desired. What is it the Chazal are adding here? What, what happened to Yaakov Avinu that he didn't daven? And what happened to Yaakov Avinu that he did daven? So the answer that I would like to... Uh, the answer that, that I'd like to kind of share with you is the answer of the Likuti Halachos, Rav Nosan of Braslav, right? So here it is, Likuti Halachos, Hulos Tfilah, Tfilah's Minchas, Simen Zayin. We're going to try to, we'll try, I'll read it, and I'll try to explain it. Uh, it's not hard. But not hard is always difficult. You know, hard is usually easier. This is not so hard. The word tikkun, you know, for the Kabbalists, and not only for Kabbalists, but, you know, it's kind of, kind of uh, everybody understands that tikkunim are something that we're able to do. We're able to fix things. The way we look at the world that we live in is that it's a little broken, and we do things to fix them. The main thing that we can do to fix the world that we live in is uh, keeping the mitzvot. That the mitzvot are not somehow in the eyes of the Kabbalists are not just a uh, Boy Scout manual on good living. Whereas at the end, you know, somebody tallies up all of the good things, all the mitzvot you did, and gets you the proper place in Olam Haba. But that the mitzvot have an effect on the reality in which we find ourselves. That was the way the Kabbalists understood it, the Arizal, that, uh, that doing a mitzvah is more than just accepting the yoke of heaven. But it's an attempt, it's an attempt to, to fix things, to straighten things out. So he says, Ika kolatikunin, ikar. There's a fundamental principle that's connected to tikunin, fixing things in the world. Now, in terms of defining fixing things in the world, you know, like there's always this question, well, who exactly fixes them? I mean, do I fix them? Or is it that God fixes them because God is pleased by the fact that I'm doing the mitzvot? Like, the, the verb fix doesn't have an obvious antecedent. I mean, I fix because I do the mitzvot, but I don't really fix it. Hashem fixes it, right? It's an act of creation. And this, you know, we can argue about this without coming to a particular conclusion. But this is the word that, uh, that Rav Nosson is using. Itarut means, refers to who takes the initiative? Who takes the initiative? Like in general, we would say that anything that has to do with the world, with the world, with creation, with fixing the world, that's God's business and not our business. And so there is this notion that was created to understand the relationship between me and what I do and what ultimately God does to fix the world, and that's called hit or rut 
for some reason, HaKadosh Baruch Hu needs that, wants that, has determined that that will become the essential feature in the ongoing fixing of the world that we live in. And that's called Itairuta Dilitata. Now listen to this. This is called, what's coming up is called philosophy. Ki Hashem Yitbarach Rotzeh Tedaika Anachnu Navodoto Misehaolam. He says, this is a truth that Rav Nachman repeated again and again and again. He says, there's no doubt that for some reason, which is not clear to us, and which answers the question, why, after all, did God create the world? Why was there a lack in the eyes of God, so to speak, that the world filled I mean, if God is one, if God is perfect, if God is whole, if God is everything, then why did God create the world? And one of the possible answers, the answer that Rabbi Nachman liked is that HaKadosh Baruch wants us to serve Him. Therefore, in other words, the world was created because that was not possible before the world was created. There was no one and nothing to serve God. I'm in the second line. And it was an oral teaching from Rabbi Nachman. That's how Rabbi Nachman put it. If God wanted to serve himself, so to speak, by himself, so to speak, then God would not have any need for us, for all of us. line three. So this may be really a further explanation that not only did God want man to serve God and to daven, but God wanted man to overcome Yetzirah. Yetzirah is, after all, a very intimate feature. However you translate the words Yetzirah, you could translate it to psychology, you could translate it to sociology, you could translate it to physiology. You could translate it to any way you want, but it's going to stop you. It's trying to stop you from doing what you should be doing. That's what Yetzirah is interested in. Uh, very strong. Very encompassing. That, that the great people, right, also are subject to this problem. The end of line five. And therefore, there's this complicated setup. On the one hand, God wants us to serve God. On the other hand, God wants us to overcome the Yetzirah. And since for most people, especially great people, this becomes a very difficult thing to do, 
because their Yetzirah is greater than the Yetzirah of the simple people. And therefore, there has to always be support from heaven. Whereas even though Itarutalakata means I, I do it, and even though it means that that's what God wants me to do, I recognize the fact that I really can't do it by myself, and God has to help me. God has to help me, and that's called Itarutme Alvigates Hashem. I'm sorry, line 6. This doesn't make any sense. Because on the one hand, we know that everything comes from God. And all the tikkunim and every fixing in the world has to come from God. And yet, in some way, the letato works. This is the, the wonder of, uh, of the pure heart. Therefore, it is very important to heaven that there's a hit over it. If I would try to translate this into the words that we, uh, that we understand, we know that everybody knows that suddenly, on some, some, some moment, there's a moment when we want to do a mitzvah. We want to do the right thing. It doesn't happen all the time. Very often we do mitzvot and we feel oppressed by them. We're not uh, terribly oppressed, but we feel a little bit oppressed. Like it's annoying, either you have to get up, or you have to sit down, or you have to stand up, or you have to make a big meal, or make a small meal. I mean, it's all, you know, everything is a mitzvah. Everything is a mitzvah. Not everything is so, so pleasant, but sometimes, for everybody, there's either a root. I mean, you feel good about the mitzvah of, of lulav, or the mitzvah of matzah. You feel uh, good about Shabbos, you know, Shabbos is kind of, the, not, not in terms of taking a day off, but in terms of, you know, like you feel that this idea that you might be have an opportunity to come closer to God on Shabbos than the rest of the week, you feel that sometimes. That's called it alert. That's called it alert. Everybody has it. Everybody has it. But the hit alert is not always enough. It's not always powerful enough. It's not always strong enough to change the world in which we live. So that hit alert according to Rabbi Nelson, is buttressed by God. It's like God says, oh, you started something, I'll let you finish it. No matter what, you know, even though there's a Yetzirah that's going to try to convince you that you shouldn't do it, this time you're going to do it without the Yetzirah, you're going to overcome the Yetzirah. That's sometimes, <coughs> sometimes what happens. So that's what the Gemara says. The Gemara says, you have to do tshuva. Tshuva. Tshuva is not an easy mitzvah. It's not, not an easy thing to do. Because even if you only uncover yourself to yourself, that's pretty hard. It's very hard to say, you know, I'm really not what people think I am. I'm not as good as people say I am. I'm not as pure as I like to think I am. Now that's hard. It's hard. It's hard to be honest. So look how the Gemara, and the Gemara says, Yuma peacefully Pesach Tefchudo Shomachat. 
which you have not nothing going to quote these. If you just open, open yourself up like the eye of a needle. Eye of a needle, that's something very small. Right? So God promises to give you an opening as big as the opening of a wedding hall. Pitchal Shalullah. So what is the important thing here? The important thing is that the hit root leads to hit root. This is an important idea that uh, that everybody had. That you shouldn't think you shouldn't think that achievement is dependent on of the entirety or, or the globality of your success. You shouldn't think that. You shouldn't just a little step in that direction will then be supported will that be supported by, by heaven. So there is an option, there's an opportunity for itaruta dilatata for itarut. I mean because we all have it in our memory bank someplace. Something something happened once. There was something that we appreciated. There was some good feeling that we had about, about davening, about Shabbos, about mitzvahs, right? There was some good moment that we had. And it comes up, it recurs from time to time. And that's the promise. God will help you. God will help you with that hitorot. And God helps you with that hitorot. There'll be hitorot lemala and eventually a tikkun. That's the, that's the idea. <coughs> Line 7. Ze'ev sha'alavim klau. Echa kol mimeni yitbarach ha'bichet shechim yitarwuta le'tratata. This is impossible. Impossible to understand. That's how it is in religion. There are things, there are, are conundrums which are part of the religious personality. The religious person is not the person who has the answers to all the questions, at least certainly not according to Rav Nachman Abratzlev, but he's the person who is able to be religious in spite of the questions. By Olam Kulo, Rav Nachman said, Gesher Tzarmaot. What did that mean? And besides the, the fact that you all know how to sing it, but you all know what it means. The Gesher Tsarma Old went over the abyss. It was like just uh, empty. Everything under the Gesher was empty. You know when you go into a place where you can't see, you can't see anything? It makes, you, it makes your head turn. You, you get sick. Now what is that abyss? That abyss is questions. How could the world be this way? How could it be that bad people seem to do better than good people sometimes? You know, etc., etc., etc. Eil Fachid. That's what Rav Nachman says. Kola olam kulo, Gesher Tsar Ma'od. Gesher Tsar Ma'od is made up of faith. Rav Nachman Abratzel believed that Amuna was the winning hand. And that Amuna trumped Suffolk. If I said that correctly. Faith? Trumped is a word from a card game, right? Okay. I never went to one of those colleges. But Emunah trumps question. In, in other words, it's not, it's not like an arbitrary thing you say to a kid. Uh, you ask that question one more time, you go to the principal's office or something like that. You know, like teachers don't like to answer questions and because they don't know the answers. 
and they feel, very often teachers feel that they sell children, they don't know the answers, their source of mystical authority will disappear. This is not true. Usually children have respect for people who admit that they don't know something, or as often as not. The question, in other words, what faith means is, faith means is that even though I don't know the answer, I know there's an answer. That's what, that's what the Gesher Tsar Ma'od. And, and Eil Fachet means that you can't be afraid that the question is going to beat the faith. And once you're not afraid that the question will overcome faith, then you just walk on the Gesher Tsar Ma'od in great peace and tranquility. That was the position of Rav Nachman of Bratzon. Therefore, Rav Nachman didn't like philosophical works. The leading philosophical works that he didn't like was the Guide to the Perplexed. And as a result, he didn't like the Rambam. Because the Rambam gave the impression <coughs> that things were within our ken to understand. And Rav Nachman thought that that was not the case. But faith was something, emunah, was something that you could have. You could definitely have emunah. And emunah was a lot better, was a lot better than answers to questions. Because as he understood it, you could have the answers to a lot of questions and still imagine that there's going to be another question that you're not going to be able to answer. So it really has to do with the way you imagine it. Not the way it really is. So if you imagine, it's amazing. No one ever calls me. This is 301. What's 301 in America? I don't know. No, it's 201. What? Who's 301? You're a world traveler. Okay, 301. Called at the wrong time. Line 8. And therefore God values very highly this awakening, this religious awakening. Uh, what do they call it in English? Notions. You know what notions are? A notion store. <laughs> they sell buttons and needles. Isn't it called notions? No? Huh? It is, right? So that's sit kit. Sit kit is notions. So you get the needles from a notion store. By the, the, a big, a big uh, opening. And you should know that whenever you daven, this is what happens. Right? It's noticed in heaven. Because we know that the Gemara says that if somebody wants to become Tahor, we help him. That's what the Rambam says, that when you go to a mikveh for Tahor, the mikveh really doesn't do anything. 
the Rambam says. The end of Hilchus Mufalas, the Mikra doesn't do anything. What does it? The fact that the person wants to be Tahor. And the Mikra just focuses you on this, on, on, on this matter. And what are you doing? I'm becoming Tahor. I want to be Tahor. So it, it would be too difficult to just everybody wander around. So the Mikra does that. We speak about the, uh, the unity of God. So we speak about a kind of commonality of interest between the people who are doing the mitzvah, who are davening, and heaven which is listening to what we are doing. <coughs> Okay, so this was the introduction. This is like an introduction called Kabbalah, Ephel, all one, all two. We just learned all of Kabbalah. Kabbalah is an attempt to understand the, the notion of a living God. That God is interested in what we are doing. And that God responds to our attempts, though they may be feeble, to make things better. That's the Kabbalistic interest to try to explain to me how this tension and this interactivity between man and God actually takes place. Not that there is a God and not that God created the world and not that God gave the Torah. Those are all static moments in history that indicate something about God but something beyond that. We think that there's a relationship, that the things that we do are important. And that that was the subject of the Kabbalah. <coughs> and now if you look at line 10, Bezek, he, now, now we'll get to our parsha. We have to get to our parsha, right? Otherwise, this is a, an exercise of futility. Bezek. Uh, just one second. Line 14. And this is the story of Yaakov. He's the first one who understood this. What makom was it that he paga? Shehu mekom beit hamikdash. He got to Haramoriah. Haramoriah is the place of Akedah Yitzchak. Yes, but it's also the place of the beit hamikdash. So Chazal asked this question in the Medrash. We didn't see this question in the Gemara, but the Gemara says he went from Beit El to Haran. And then he thought, what am I doing here? I better go back in Daven. So Chazal asked the question, how come the angels didn't stop it? How about nobody told him, listen, you're here at the, the, the Haram Moriah, you better daven, you, better, you shouldn't go to Haran. He says, Madur loik vuk shavah shavah shivu, ihu lo yohiv date litpalel, umina shamayim yaakvu. He, Yaakov Avinu, never thought of davening. So what do you think? Heaven is going to hold on to him? And say, hey, Yaakov, why did you daven in Maharev? Certainly not. He who ad charon azal. He, Yaakov Avinu, 
went all the way to Haran. This line is missing in the Gemara that we learn. But it's in the Medrash. Kad Amar. When he got there, when he got to where? We got to Haran. He said, oh, I missed Davening. I went to Zahar He said it. Yom da'ate lemehedar. Natan da'ato lachzor. Bekavtsalo ha'aretz. Uba'a lekrato. And then the whole land, the whole earth folded itself up and suddenly he was in Haram Uriel, Pagaba Makom. So listen to Rav Nassim. How Rav Nassim understand this story. I know. As long as Yaakov Avinu is not willing to take the first step in the, in the direction of Tefillah, they're going to force him to stop. They're going to force him to daven. That's not the way. It works. And then Yaakov Avinu understood this great idea called Itaruta de Latata. That's called Itaruta de Laela. The Kvitsata Derech, that came from God. That can only have come from heaven. Then he understood what he had to understand. Which is that you make the world as it should be by the intention that you have. In other words, Yaakov was going on a sojourn on a long trip to Chutzla Aretz, where lots of things would happen and change. And he had to understand that even though he grew up in the house of Yitzchak of Inu, and Yitzchak was a person who was always involved, apparently, with God, with prayer, with mitzvot, and Yaakov of Inu didn't have to do anything. He was totally a passive person in the house of Yitzchak. First Yitzchak told him what to do. Then Rivka told him what to do. Then Esau told him what to do. He was totally passive. He was a totally passive kind of a person even though he lived in a very special world. When he left the house of Yitzchak, his father, he had to understand that it now depended upon him. And depended upon him in the language of Nosson of Braslav is Itaruta de Lutata. That's what happened. Vazisig, line number 20, Hasig, Ba'otsim, Hasagato, Shigam, Yaakov Avinu understood, Shigam called it a root, with a root, in K, in K, Mikomot, Hanifulim, Varchokim, Ot, Kamzeyakarot. And Yaakov Avinu was on the verge of making the, the colossal mistake the era of all times. And that was, he was on the verge of thinking that God is responsive in a place, in a makom, in a place, the place of Yitzchak, his father, in a place called Haramoriah where there was 
Akedat Yitzchak. But the reason that Yaakov Avinu did not stop to daven was because he knew that he was leaving that world. He was leaving Haramoria. He was leaving the house of Yitzchak Avinu. And therefore, he was not certain at all that he would be protected in the same way under the aegis of God's will. That was Yaakov Avinu's issue. And when he got to Haran, when he got to Haran, he understood. Somehow Yaakov Avinu understood that he had to go back to that place to David. And then And then he was given to understand that wherever there's an itaruta dilatata, no matter where you are, no matter how bad your situation is, no matter how it is that you're living in a place where, uh, where Torah and mitzvahs do not rule or do not reign, nevertheless, heaven will be responsive. That's called itaruta dilatata. So that lesson, and it is a lesson, it's a lesson for us naturally, but it's a lesson for Yaakov Avinu who's going from a world in which even passivity was possible. It was possible for Yaakov Avinu to just say Yachtav, just to be Yachtav, to be with Avram Avinu, not to be with Yitzchak Avinu. But when he was alone, he was frightened that that world that he had left would be gone forever. And this trip to Haran and back to Haramoria taught Yaakov Avinu the language of the Nelson of Ratzlov that if there's an Itaruta de Latata, as weak as you think it is, as it is insignificant as it seems to be at the moment, is very much desired in heaven. And since it is so desired in heaven, the result will always be, will always be part, positive. And so after Yaakov Avinu went back to Aramaria, he had a dream. And in that dream, from that dream, he understood that history was not coming to an end, that he was not going to Chutzlaritz forever. But there were Malachim Olim, and there were Malachim Yardim. And one or the other, one or the other set of Malachim is the guarantee that Yaakov Avinu will return home and reestablish the house of his father and his grandfather have a good chance.